Okay, so those of you who've been following the podcast have heard about how we were going to start these gatherings out in L.A. County, and we actually did start that, and we did film the first few sessions of these gatherings, but uh, we haven't put them on the Internet yet because the audio and video, it just didn't come out that great. But a lot of people have been asking about, okay, what's happening out there? So we're going to put this on there. Uh, bear with the quality, but we wanted you to get this info because great things are happening in L.A. County. I, I just, uh, I was praying this afternoon and saying, God, I just so don't want to do the normal thing. When I read in scripture, there was nothing normal about it. You know, it was a movement of the Holy Spirit and people just responded to the Holy Spirit as, as they went along. They didn't have this plan where they go, okay, Holy Spirit, here's what we want you to do. You do this and then this and this and fit into our plan. But it was a bunch of people just saying, okay, where are you going to lead us? And they responded to him. And so this is kind of the first step for us. We're not sure uh, what this is going to look like three months from now, and I think that's a good thing. Um, we don't even have plans for what it's uh, going to look like three months from now, and I think that's a good thing. I think we just gather together, we pray like crazy, we ask the Holy Spirit to build His church, ask Christ to build His church, and then we would just respond to that. And so uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start off with a word of prayer? You guys join me? God, I just ask you to show up. Just show us what you want us to do. Help us to just totally surrender to you. God, we want so badly to just have a church that pleases you, that honors you, that we know is of you. A church that you truly lead through your Holy Spirit. Father, help us just to surrender everything to you. Any preconceived notions or anything, Lord, and just follow wholly according to your word and your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that this, these churches would never be personality-driven, that we'd always hear about your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus would be lifted up in no one else's name. God, that it would just all be about Him. And so at the end, when everything's done, people would just know that it really was of You because no human being could have pulled it off. Father, I just so want to experience You and Your power here on earth that's available to us and all who believe in the great name of Jesus. So Father, empower us and start something new through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we have a plan for tonight, <laughs> but uh, even as we prayed, we were like, you know what, Holy Spirit, if you want to lead us in a different direction, we're totally fine with that. And so even throughout the night, I've been praying, God, you know, just keep us in step with the Spirit. Um, the plan right now is that I'm just going to share for the first half hour a little bit of the vision and uh, behind what we're doing right here, and then we'll take a little bit of break, and then Todd Nicewonger is going to share a little bit, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. Um, and just ask God to move. But uh, I, uh, I've got so many thoughts in my head, 
and I've typed out a lot of things. We're going to have a website uh, pretty soon up for you that's going to um, have a lot of this stuff that I'm sharing tonight in writing and even more. So as people ex- ask you questions like, hey, what exactly are you guys doing? Um, you can uh, point them to the website, and that, that they might, there might be more answers there than you might get tonight. Um, over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be sharing the vision and just to see if we're all on board with this, um, because this is going to be different. It's different from anything I've ever been a part of, um, and I'm excited about that. Uh, for those who don't know, I, I started a church in Simi Valley about 15 years ago, over 15 years ago. I, I was married for about two months. Um, it was just a random idea right then that we believed was of the Lord, that my wife and I believed was of the Lord. And, uh, and Cornerstone see me started, and, and God's done great things through that church. And now's a time when I feel like God wants me to do something more. Um, I still passed over there in Simi Valley uh, in the fall, probably. Um, but a lot just depends on what are, what are you going to do? Because I want to be open at every moment of my life. Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And so this is the start of what the elders believe is just something the Holy Spirit wants us to do, which initially they said, you know what? It'd be good to have Francis come out and start something in the valley, and we'll just see where it goes from there. And as we need more leaders from Simi to come over and help out in different areas, we're going to do that. And as Simi Valley may need me to go back and do something, but but just kind of uh, not be locked into a position or a mold or whatever, but just be led by God. And so understand this is with the total support of uh, Cornerstone and Simi Valley and the elders there. Um, If I could summarize what I'd love to see, um, and this is because I see it in Scripture, I, um, I dream of a day when I could gather with a bunch of co-workers in church. That I, I dream of a day when there are no customers or consumers at church. Um, where everyone comes with the mindset of, I am going to give something. I am going to encourage someone. I have something to offer because supposedly every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. And supposedly every believer then will, will have these gifts from the Spirit, these manifestations and working out of the Spirit in order to build up the body of Christ. And um, can you imagine... A gathering of believers where there were no customers and everyone saw themselves as a co-worker. Can you imagine what that would feel like if everyone came in just wanting to love someone, wanting to serve someone? A lot of this goes back to uh, my days as a waiter. I, I used to wait tables about a mile or two from here, right off of Reseda. This was our competition, because um, I was at Acapulco's, and this was El Torito, right when it opened. And, uh, and I, I loved it. I don't know how many of you have waited tables, but I loved it. You know, it was right when the, you know, the restaurant was opening, and, and we're all getting to know each other, and we're going to launch this, this restaurant. But the whole point was I, I love seeing my fellow waiters and waitresses, you know, we call them servers. I love seeing the other servers and I had such a bond with the servers, you know, because we would just hang out every night, you know, and then, and, and, you know, we'd get stressed out, but we all kind of just worked together, took care of each other's things. And, you know, I like
liked my customers sometimes, but I didn't have any bond with my customers. You're just nice to them for about half an hour so you get a tip. That's all, that's all that was about. And then they just, you know, wanted to work me and get whatever they could out of me. And, and so there was no relationship with them, but there was such a bond with the waiters and waitresses. I mean, we're really family. It just, it just really felt like that. And we hung out all of the time. We laughed together, served together. And, uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like if that restaurant was packed and I was the only waiter. Um, I would have gone nuts, you know, but it was that teamwork. It was that, uh, you know, working together, that synergy and everything that made everything happen. I mean, if I was alone, it, it would have been a mess. And uh, honestly, that's, that's how I felt in church a lot of times. Um, like I was the sole waiter or something and everyone wanted something from me. You know, you walk in and one person, you know, came out of seminary is like, hey, I, I want you to teach some expositional, you know, preaching and I want you to teach something that I hadn't learned in class yet. It's like, oh, okay, okay. And then someone else said, hey, you know what? I brought a friend today who doesn't believe in God. Can you make sure you just give a simple, clear, plain message, you know, a gospel message and get them to say, oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, someone else will come along and say, hey, what are your views on Calvinism? You know, can we talk about predestination for four hours later today? You know, it, it was everything, you know, or someone, you know, people come in and it's just a reality. And, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm so hopeless. I was ready to kill myself this week. I, I just hope your message gives me some hope. And then can you counsel me afterwards? And it, it just is like one thing after another. And everyone's like, I only want to talk to you. I only want to, you know, be with you. You know, you, you, we connected when you were speaking and, and, and I, I got to have your input, your insight. And so you're trying and you, you try to meet all these needs and I wanted to man I want to help everyone but can you imagine you know a thousand people per service each with their own desires and wants and if they looked at themselves as customers and I'm there to serve them and sure yeah there were other pastors that came alongside but really I mean think about all the needs and everything that goes on and everyone from their different walks of life and I, I just uh, people came in with such an agenda of things that they wanted for themselves some come with political agendas they would say you know are you going to preach on Prop 8 today you know because this is the problem with the church you know and others say you know uh, will you you know do you think Obama's the Antichrist you can talk about him you're going to do this you're going to do that you got a singles ministry you got this it's just on and on and on the list goes on and I'm just going this is this isn't what I see in the Bible you know, it just isn't. And can you imagine a place where everyone came in to give? Everyone recognized. I mean, imagine a church with no customers. Where the only customers were maybe those people who didn't believe in God yet. And everyone came in to serve and care for each other. I really believe that biblically that's what I see in Scripture. I mean, if you see something different, show me. But as I read the Bible... Um, simply and, and you know just in a plain simple way I go gosh that's what I see when the believers gather together um, so I, I guess that's just what I would love to be a part of I mean even for the next four weeks okay <laughs> you know even if we just start now for the next four weeks that, that, that maybe you, you come in next week with a different mindset because I know a lot of you are used to attending churches um, which that phrase doesn't even make sense um, to attend a church you know but as we gather together as the church 
I know you're used to a certain mindset or what you want to get out of church, but could you try to come even next week thinking, okay, God's gifted me. And maybe even during dinner to go around seeing who you could minister to, who you could care for, thinking, okay, God, how, is, how have you gifted me? I mean, what if, what if we started church this way and, and we never changed from that? Uh, where everyone came with that type of mindset and we just said, look, everyone who calls himself a believer in Jesus Christ should bring something to the table, should come and bring something. I know a lot of you grew up in homes where, you know, where your parents taught you, if you're going to go over to a house, don't go empty handed, you know, bring something. And last night, you know, we're going to dinner at someone's house like, oh, what do we have? What do we have? You know, I had this leftover like smoked salmon thing. I just bring it. You know, it just... Because it's just, you know, you just bring, you bring a gift. And I love when people come over and they just, uh, you know, they, they just want to bring something. It's just, a, it's just a great thing, you know. And, and, and if we could have that mindset in church to say, okay, what am I going to bring to the table today? Can you imagine if everyone thought that way? And every time we gathered, you came with a mindset to give and they came with a mindset to give. And we all just partnered together because we all had a common goal of we want to get this message that's so wonderful to us. We want to get it out to the world. And uh, I think of this, this passage in Philippians 1 uh, where Paul says, In my prayers for all, all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How Paul loved that Philippian church because he goes, I thought about our, your partnership in this with me. Um, that's what I want. I want to feel like we're partners in this room. And I want to feel like as, as you guys are sent out into your neighborhoods and I go out, that we're all doing the same thing during the week. And then we gather together every once in a while as a big group and say, okay, how are we doing? How are we doing? And we keep motivating each other to stay in this partnership. I, I, I want to I, I share a few thoughts with you t- tonight. Um, a couple of analogies that, that may help you understand what we're trying to do. The first one is... Um, is that is the illustration of a lab? Um, do you remember in in college or high school the difference between lecture hall and lab? Okay, think about that. Okay, because that's what I want you to think about. You know, you had the lecture hall where there was one teacher up in front, and then you know, however many students, you, you could have hundreds of students and one lecturer. That's that's pretty much the church service. Uh, you know, system that we've created is a lecture hall, which works really well um, if that's all you want to do is lecture. It's a great environment for that. You know, we keep the kids out, we separate everything, and it's just lecture time. Okay, great. But the lab was awesome. Wasn't lab always more fun? You know, and you got a, you got a few lab partners, and you're burning things, and you're dissecting things, and, and you're all working together, and you, you come up with a project together, and you're counting on each other, and you're working together. Now, lectures still took place in the lab. You know, a teacher would get up and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. But then right after he said, you actually did it right there in class. See, that's the idea of these small gatherings that we're hoping to have in every neighborhood. 
is that now what we want to do on Sunday mornings is is more of a lab format where see because because right now like at Cornerstone Simi Valley you, you can't really if I taught a message on praying for one another how are you going to do it right there in that room or serving one another forgiving one another care for one another you know being generous to one another giving freely to one another how are you going to do that in that room um, with a bunch of strangers people you don't even know we, we don't even have time to do that because we got to get everyone out and go to the next service you know and you got to get in the party on and on and on it's a great lecture format but you can't create a lab type of uh, a place there and what you can do in the homes is now suddenly you've got relationships with the people in your neighborhood and as you hear a message you can immediately say okay how are we going to apply that right now right here I mean, it could be in, in some of these gatherings that you, you leave the church and, you know, go walk the blocks, pray for the neighborhood. You, you may go look for the needy in your neighborhood, do something. for. I mean, you can immediately do something right there. And as far as the interaction, confessing sins to one another, all of those things that are so critical in Scripture now can happen in that environment. Whereas in that other uh, lecture format, it just, it's just not conducive to that. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26... It says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. See, when I would read, read about the church, I would see that the body, everyone had something to contribute. And that's the way it was supposed to work. But it was always frustrating because with a thousand people in the room, how can everyone, you know, everyone can't even have 10 seconds on the microphone. You know, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to care for one another? And so in these smaller gatherings, we believe that this can happen. Um, the other thing, too, is here's what's scary about it is with the old format, the lecture type format. Like if we just did, if this was church like this every week. Really, the only person that would have to be spirit-filled would be me. Everyone else can just sit there. It really doesn't matter. You know, it's just like in a lecture hall. You can kind of slip in, slip out. It doesn't matter. As long as the teacher is on, everything else is fine. But in the lab format, you're counting on one another. Like if your partner's not there and he was supposed to pull some weight that week and he was supposed to, you know, he had a section of the, uh, you know, of the project and everyone has to chip in. Everyone needs to, to be walking with God, and we encourage one another to walk with God that way. And so this way we're depending on one another. Um, from what I see in Scripture, believers are supposed to be marked by the way that we interact with one another. Like, um, unbelievers should see a unity amongst us that they don't see in the world. Uh, Jesus, in John 17, when he was praying right before he left the earth, he says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may see that you have sent me. Somehow Jesus says, if they are all one, if there's a unity amongst them, then the world's going to believe that Jesus is real. Then the world's going to believe that Jesus was actually sent because God would create a spiritual bond between us that people wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. See, that was the apologetic. That was what was going to lead people to Christ was when they saw our unity. Um, 
1 John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So again, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, the Bible says that uh, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So somehow, if we're really loving each other, then God abides there and people ought to see that. Again, it's by the way we, we interact. Uh, another verse that we've been using a lot is 1 Peter uh, 2, verses 9 and 10. And this is, this is how God views us. See, you may look at yourself right now and think, well, I'm just an individual with my personal relationship before God. But that's not how God views us. See, when God, God in heaven right now, if we care about his opinion, okay, when he looks down in this room, he sees us as a family. In his eyes, we're a family. Okay? Even though some of you, I don't know your name, you don't know me, but, but that's not the way God wanted. He, he wants this to be a family, for there to be a connection here. In fact, he says in that 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, he says, You, all of us in this room, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God sees us as a people group, a race, a holy nation. And, and supposedly, in, in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that we're a body. Okay, think about that. In this room, God would see, say, this is a body. That means each one of you, you know, is a finger or an arm or an eye or an ear or whatever. That's the analogy he uses. And that's what we want to start creating is, uh, you know, when you're in your neighborhoods for you to feel this connection like, wow, you're really a part of me. You know, you as a believer, you know, just like Jesus says when they found him in the temple and he was teaching, he goes, hey, your mom, you know, your brothers are out there. And he goes, who's my mother? Who's my brother's? He goes, it's, it's you who hear the word of God and obey. He was saying, man, there's, this is a spiritual family in God's eyes. And so we want to show that to the world. Um, in, a, in, in Cornerstone's mission statement, this is something we developed years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago. Um, it says, to give every individual an accurate picture of God and help through helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We said we wanted to give, I mean, our vision when we started the church was let's give everyone an accurate picture of God because I think a lot of people have a screwed up picture of God in their mind. A lot of people make up this God in their own mind go, that's the one that really exists. And so we wanted to biblically show them the true God, what he's like, what he says about himself because that's kind of dumb that people make up their own God and say God is this way, God is this way when he's already told us what he's like. And so let's figure that out. Even if there's certain things we don't agree with, let's give an accurate picture But what we're understanding, though, is biblically what God tells us to do is not just share, you know, verbally an accurate picture of God, but we're supposed to show people a picture of God. See, I'm not supposed to just tell people that God loves them and tell them there's a loving God. I'm supposed to love you so much and love those in my neighborhood, my community so much that they actually get a glimpse of the love of God. They ought to see me forgiving you no matter how many stupid things you do to me. I just keep forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. So they're like, 
how do you do that? And I go, well, that's what God does for me. And now they're seeing the forgiveness of God. They're seeing the love of God. That's how we give an accurate picture of God to the world. See, right, right now, like, like a lot of you, I've done it too. You, you, you attend a church and then you ditch it when you don't like it anymore. Right? And you'll get in a group of people and then you ditch them because you don't like them anymore. The moment there's conflict, you ditch them. And that's why even in the church, you know, with marriages, we, we ditch each other. Uh, the divorce rate's the same in the church as it is outside of the church. You know, parents are leaving their kids. Kids are leaving their parents. You know, people are leaving. Their, there's just this constant leaving of one. What type of picture of God is that? You know, there's going to be conflict in our groups as we gather. And we're supposed to show that, look, even though these people offend me, I keep loving them. Because that's what God does for me. See, so to paint an accurate picture of God, that means I put up with you and you put up with me. We bear with one another because God put up with me and he put up with so many things in my life and I want to do that for other people now. And that's, that's, that's showing this picture. You understand, we want to start working together and together display Jesus rather than one communicator up front telling people about Jesus. We want to show Jesus to the world by the way we interact. It's interesting because I was reading something this week and uh, it was talking about church. And did you know that up until about the 1700s, when people gathered in, in what we call church, what they would talk about was they were trying to understand God's will for his church. That's what discussions were. That's what they used. What is God's will for the church, for his church? But what happened right in the middle of the 1700s was, was this independent spirit started. And suddenly the discussions in the church followed suit. And the church, didn't. people came to these places and they didn't ask, what is God's will for the church? It became, what's God's will for my life? We didn't care about the church anymore. I'm worried about me. What does God want for me? And this real independent spirit crept into the church and then suddenly, see, and for that, the lecture hall format works out great because you can kind of slip in, hear your message, have your own relationship with God and walk out. But that's never what God wanted. He wanted a people group, a chosen race, a people for his own possession, a holy nation. And so these, uh, these lab-like gatherings, uh, the point of it is so that we can really... Uh, counteract this other mindset. The other analogy I want to throw out is um, the idea of rehab. Okay, here's, 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 what, here's the way I see it. Crippled people come to church, right? We all come, we've got our issues, we're messed up. But traditionally what the church has done is rather than rehabbing people, we put them in a wheelchair and just push them around. Okay? In other words, someone comes to the church, they don't know how to raise their kids their own way. They don't know how to share their faith with other people. They don't know how to disciple other people. There, there's so many, they don't know how to counsel other people. So what we do is, rather than going through the pain of rehab and these believers and, and teaching them how to raise their kids and teaching them how to teach their kids and teaching them how to share their faith with their neighborhood, we go, you know what, we'll do it for you. 
You know, you just sit because that's easier for you and it's easier for me too. It's easier to push you around in a wheelchair rather than to motivate you to try to walk and get you going and rehab this leg again. And in the same way in the church, what we've done is say, you know what, we'll raise your kids for you. Okay, we've got a Sunday school program and once they're through with that and a wand and everything, then we have junior high group and some, some other counselor will raise your kid for you there. And then in high school, you know, we have a high school group and the high school counselor will take care of your kid there. And then you get mad because they're not raising your kid right, you know, and on and on and on. And, and, and you know what? You, you don't know how to share your faith? That's okay. We'll, we'll send out an advertisement to the whole city and we'll get them to the church building and I'll preach and I'll share the gospel to your neighbor for you. And uh, you, don't, you can't disciple them? I'll hire a bunch of pastors and we'll pay them and they'll disciple all of your friends. You see, that's what we do in church. And the problem with that is it's just like putting a, a person in a wheelchair, you know, that could have been rehabbed. Eventually, they're not going to be happy. Eventually, they're going to see other people that are running and jumping and everything else and going, man, that could have been me. And yeah, it was easier just to sit in this wheelchair, and I enjoyed that more, but I wish I'd gone the pain of rehab, because look at all that. And what I'm saying is that if rather than enabling people to stay where they're at spiritually, my desire, our desire as elders, is to rehab them and to equip them. See, because you're going to be so much happier if your kid graduates from high school and says, the greatest spiritual influence was my dad or my mom rather than saying oh, I was my high school counselor or my junior high counselor. You're, you're going to be so much more fulfilled then. People will be more fulfilled that way. You'll be so much happier if you shared with your next door neighbor because let's face it, don't, I know there's only many different ways to reach people but when you read this book, in the core of your being, don't you feel almost like a sadness or a guilt or a frustration with yourself that you personally haven't even talked to the, the people on your own block? And even though people tell you, oh, that's okay, you don't have the gift of evangelism or this or that, all those other things in your heart, you don't feel good about that. Because you read this book and you go, gosh, I've been a Christian for this many years and I haven't even told the guy next door to me. I believe in heaven and hell and I believe that I have the message that, that, that determines the difference between those two things and I haven't even told that person next door. You don't feel good about that. And you know how amazing you would feel if, if you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we equipped you to do this, you went and had dinner with them and, and talked to them, and you actually got to lead them to the Lord. Do you, do you think there are many things on this earth that will give you a greater high than that? See, because that's what you were created for. And the, the leaders in the church are not supposed to do the ministry. They're supposed to equip you to do the ministry. That's what the Bible says in, uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, we're supposed to equip you to go out and do those things. And, and in the same way, it says in Ephesians 2.10, this is so beautiful. It says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. 
Think about this. The Bible says that you were created to actually do good works. And God determined this beforehand, before you were even born, before you were even saved. God had works for you to do that he wants you to walk in. So you're not going to be fulfilled just sitting in a church building. There's going to be a lack of peace just sitting there and, and just being fed all of the time. It's just not, it's, it's not what you were made for. That's why you don't feel right about not getting across the street, getting to your neighbors. And it's not someone else's job. Deep in your heart, I think you know that it's supposed to be you. We, most of us know the Great Commission. When Jesus said after he rose from the grave, all authority, think about this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. I've got all authority to say this, and I'm telling you, this is all of us, go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them. You guys in this room, baptize them. This is Jesus talking to you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I command you. Everything I commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You want to experience Jesus being with you always? Then go out and make disciples. We're all supposed to do that. You see? And, and, and what we're trying to create is an environment where we all come with that mindset of, I'm supposed to be out there doing this and making the disciples. Um, but here's the problem, um, and it's a problem with me too. I get distracted. I, I wake up most days and I don't think about my God-given mission on this earth. I think about different ways that I could entertain myself, I think about just the common duties of the day and I forget that God created me for greater things. And that's why the Bible says that we should not forsake the gathering together. But when we gather, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that we gather to stir one another up. See, I need people in my life that will see me on a regular basis to just come up to me and go, Hey, remember what you're supposed to be doing today, making disciples. Remember what we're created for, that we stir one another up to love and good deeds. Because left to myself, I'm just going to gravitate to, I'm just going to hang out with my kids. I'm just going to hang out with my family. I'm just going to go, you know, go, go golf, go do this, go do that, and forget about what I was created for. I need you guys to remind me, and I think this is the, the opposite is true, right? That, that, that you need me, you need other people in the body just reminding you that, you know what, we've got a mission here on earth, and we're not going to be content if we don't follow that mission because how happy will we be at the end of our lives when we stand before God if we know that we at least gave it an effort to reach the people in our own neighborhood at least and our own workplace and our own family members that if we believe in the difference between heaven and hell is this gospel message and we believe that this is what we were created for we're just going to be so much more fulfilled if you allow us to rehab one another rather than enable. We want to equip. So it's the rehab thing, it's the lab thing, and then uh, the last thought I have is uh, it's the Holy Spirit thing. (laughs) Um, Like I said earlier, when I read the book of Acts, there was nothing normal about it. There was a bunch of people that were directed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did some amazing things and people just responded to His work. I prayed for tonight, and I I said, God, I don't want just to do an event. 
I don't want to just do something that I have done in the past. I want you to create something new in this room. Um, there was not a whole lot of planning when the church started, right? Uh, it's just a bunch of people in a room praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then as the Holy Spirit moved, people responded to Him. They didn't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit controlled them. And I think a lot of times in the American church, we try to control the Holy Spirit. We create out a plan, we chart it out, and we say, Holy Spirit, do this now. Because this is how we want to grow our church. And I just don't want to do that. I just want to get together with believers and pray and say, Holy Spirit, do something. And then we'll respond to what you do. You build your church. And it doesn't mean we don't call and say, ah, you know, let's get everyone together and pray. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have some sort of plan. It's just that throughout the whole thing, we're saying, God, lead us, lead us, direct us. Um, I want you to think about your life right now. And When's the last time you really experienced the Holy Spirit moving in your life and using you to impact someone else? Where it wasn't just your own trying harder thing, but it really was the Holy Spirit of God See, do you even believe that the Holy Spirit could get use you as a leader in your neighborhood? You believe you can pastor, that you could shepherd a group of people in your own neighborhood? See, I want you to believe that. Because you are called to disciple. Everyone's called to lead someone. But, you know, I I just, I I meet a lot of people in the church that don't have that confidence. And that more than anything is what I want to offer to you, is some encouragement and some courage. We're going to spend some time tonight and just praying. And I I want to start, you know, getting the list of all the names of people that show up here and just praying over you. I don't want to control what happens in your neighborhood. See, this this thing will never happen unless you guys really believe that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you right now and that He can do supernatural things through you. This is not going to be a church of, oh, I want to go hear Francis speak type of church. I'm just not interested in that. I just think it's silly. I, I, I want this to be a place where Man, maybe you actually come and encourage me as I encourage you. That you minister to me as I minister to you. I I want this to be a thing where I'm not even there. And in your neighborhoods, you guys are encouraging one another and ministering to one another like the body. And your neighborhood looks on and goes, man, look at this group of people. Man, they're crazy about each other. They actually really love each other. And there's a power about them like I've never seen before. And so, with that, um, I want us to to spend some time praying right now. Uh, Let me just read this one verse. John 6.63. It's real easy. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life. 
the flesh is no help at all. Okay? So, don't take yourself too seriously. Okay? If anyone in your neighborhood's going to fall in love with Jesus Christ, it's not because you talked them into it. Okay? It's not because you were just so gifted and you came with this great speech or whatever else. All we're asking you to do is to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and lay out the truth of God's Word to people in love. Just love people. Tell them the truth. And if they're going to believe, that's not on your shoulders. That's God. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. I love that verse. It just puts me in total peace. I'm going either Holy Spirit, you move, and some of you just go out and you move in the power of the Spirit and your neighborhood falls in love with Jesus Christ, or nothing happens because we're not going to figure something out in the flesh. And so, before Todd comes up and shares, uh, here's what it would just to give you like a five minute break. Um, why don't you just turn to someone? Just, just get in a group of two or three.